Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EM360 podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Max Curtin, Head of Content here at EM360 and your host on today's episode. Make sure you stay up to date with all of our latest episodes by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you go for your podcasting fix. Now, in today's episode, I'm being joined by Tim Rickards, who's the Director of Social and Content Strategy for Hearsay Systems. And Tim's here to give us the lowdown on engaging prospects and nurturing client relationships via social media. So, Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, Max. It's my pleasure. It's great to have you here. And before we delve into the questions and I pick your brains on all of this, would you mind just giving our listeners a bit of background on yourself and Hearsay Systems? Sure thing. So I have been working in financial services, communications, and marketing for a really long time. I won't even tell you how long. Um, let's just say it's many, many years. Um, I spent a lot of time at Charles Schwab in various roles. And now at Hearsay, I am focused on a dedicated content and social strategy resource for all of our customers across all the different financial services verticals. Excellent stuff. Okay. So, as I said, we're kind of talking about the prospect element and how to kind of get people engaged, nurture those client relationships, which, as you said, is kind of your area of expertise. So, to kick off the podcast here, what kind of questions should your CMOs and content creators really be asking themselves when they're looking to engage prospects and nurture these clients via social media? Sure, sure. So I think I kind of divide this up into two sections. One is really about the company itself and how it's it's focused and organized. And then the second component is how is the social program working and ideally the social program with hearsay. So in the first dimension, I think, you know, companies have to decide how they want to measure engagement. There are many different ways that you can calculate your value, but it's really important to decide, okay, this is what we're going to decide, this is what we're going to measure as our engagement. And then these are the desired outcomes that we want to get out of that activity. This set of metrics could be things like extending your reach by increasing user networks you know, so getting your message out more broadly. It could be increasing the overall specific engagement rates per user to promote direct connections, um, which ideally lead to sales opportunities. Or it could be something like driving traffic to your own channels. So there's a bunch of different ways that you can leverage social selling, um, but it's very important for firms to have some clear definition from the get-go because if you have a vague sense of what success is, your success itself will be vague and maybe even non-existent. Um, and following on that, I think it's super important to, from a holistic standpoint for each client to say, well, how are we working together now? Social is really interesting. I mean, like other marketing disciplines, it requires a, a lot of different teams um, but since social is relatively new compared to others, you can have interesting situations where the people creating the content are not closely connected with the people who actually administer the program. Um, the program administrators could be in the ID, IT department even, right, versus the marketing department, or it could be the field support teams. And these, you know, in a large company, these big silos can get um, separated, not not because they want to, but just as a course of business. And so, you have to have a focus on being coordinated and aligned um, within all of these different groups. And 
I always say to people, if, if you're not aligned now, let's figure out ways to, to help increase that. What are our blockers? Because that will, that will lead, that paves the road towards a successful program. Um, and then as for questions in terms of the actual program, so take a look at, you know, how does the current content library perform? What sort of topics and tags are, are pulling engagement and, and what aren't? Are you allowing people to post original content or not? And if they are, how is that working? Um, so you can come up with a set of questions um, that would relate to the changes you want to make to to force the content or enable the content to drive to those key outcomes I, I mentioned above. And sometimes when you go through this performance exercise, you might find these blind spots between, between groups. So maybe the content creators are focused on a particular type of post or topic, but that really isn't, you know, resonating with the field staff. That's good to uncover that and gives you a, a way to look at stop, stay, start as you think about moving uh, forward. And then the last thing I think is really unique to, to social selling. Um, how varied and, and skilled is your current user base? So the people who are actually posting, and these will be financial advisors or agents, and what we see across our customer base is those groups, I mean, they vary widely in skill, desire, and results. So I think it's worthwhile to take the time and effort to segment out that user base to figure out how each specific group can improve. Typically, you'll find a super user team um, that you, that you want to leverage for more you know, sophisticated or new strategies. And you might have your less engaged groups, which really need a, a much more realistic set of next steps to get them up and running. 100% agree with all of that. The alignment and understanding is so important, uh, especially alignment across your multiple teams within the company to kind of know that message going forward, but also your teams and kind of the results that they want as well. I, I think a lot of organizations do fall into that trap of, you know, personas being about demographics and, and and those areas that need to be focused on but it really should be about the problems and the challenges that people face that you're kind of targeting and as you say understanding the content from different areas and bringing those in is going to be so important to um, have success going down the road agree i think it's a bit of a um it's kind of a conceptual blocker sometimes for people who are deeply steeped in traditional marketing um the the assets you're creating, um, you can't just push a button and put them out into the world. You have to rely on humans to actually select them and do that. It's a very big, it's it's somewhat subtle, but it's a profound difference in, um, in how the programs work. And so I think that just triples down on that need to be aligned and, and collaborative. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And as you said, there is no magic button that kind of fixes all of this or gets you the best engagements or the best clicks. You know, that's something we struggle with day to day. Everyone does. And I'm just kind of curious from your experience, which types of social content resonate with your B2B versus your B2C audiences? Are the personable, authentic copy and bold visuals really still at the top of that social trends leaderboard? Definitely. I mean, the social media is... You know, driven by original content. Um, it's it's driven by things that are um, emotional and and spurn our interest in a moment's notice. 
Um, but you know, it's kind of like saying, Oh, drink a glass of water if you're thirsty, right? You know, if you, you're going to go to, how do I make my social media work? Well, do more original content. There, there's a lot of complexity, um, behind that, especially, you know, in regulated industries. Um, but what I, we generally tell people is that, you know, the more customized to the individual, however you achieve that, the better it works. Um, what we see across the more mature social selling programs is they 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 generate good results by presenting a variety of different content types and topics. So, you know, one of our rules of thumb is is okay, if you're going to post 3 times in a week, you want something that's about yourself. You want something that is emotional or personal um but maybe oriented towards a broader audience or towards work. And then you want something that's very specific to your subject matter expertise, your professional expertise, and mix things that are serious versus things that are lighthearted. Um, variety is really important along with frequency. Um, that also goes with, you know, sometimes it's just a message, right? It's just a, a post that's typed out. Sometimes it's a link to something else. Sometimes it's a photo. Um, hopefully you also are able to do video. Um, those things matter because it's one of the things a little bit different from perhaps traditional advertising where consistency really is key. With social media, it's it's more or less an ongoing conversation. Um, and so the more interesting you are, the more attention you're going to get. And then, as we know, the more attention you get in the form of engagement, the more impact your posts have moving forward. So that, that variety is really important. I think... In really broad terms, you know, B2B sales, um, they, they take much longer than business to consumer or maybe more precisely, um, the participants are more actively engaged for a longer time. Um, these are often large decisions. You have more space, I think, to present subject matter expertise. Purchasing decisions inside of a company have to go through budget committees and compliance and legal, right? It's a long uh, cycle and the people involved have a lot of, um, they're driven to make sure that it's the right decision, right? Which opens up the opportunity to provide value over that entire arc of, of, of the, the purchase activity. I think from the B2C perspective, and this is really borne out over all my experience um, doing consumer marketing and client marketing at Charles Schwab, you know, most people are not passionate about financial services, and I hope I'm not crushing any dreams out there, but by and large, right, people people do not, um, they don't want to engage with these topics for a variety of reasons. Some of them are, you know, super valid. Others, I think, are just more about fear-based or maybe even a little bit, sometimes we're a little lazy. So I think they, in general, tend to ignore um, or more passively notice our messages. But what we have found and what I have found, both from a personal perspective and professional is that when the time comes, when they need us, they really do need us and they need us in that moment. So general financial services acquisition purchase is driven by life stage and life events. Um, and, and often these things are, um, they're passively accepted, right? The consumer isn't thinking through necessarily what's happening, but something happens in their life and they've got to, oh, wow, I need to address this financial concern. So it's a very different situation, I think, than B2B. That doesn't mean that our informational content is wrong. It's just that it's, I think, less likely to visibly engage with them, uh, more passive consumption. 
for example, um, perhaps a little bit more space for us to um, try and talk to them about the other portions of, um, of their lives. And then finally, I think, you know, for agents and advisors, it's just super important for them to be themselves via social media. And I think that this is somewhat challenging for us. If, if you're a financial services veteran, you, know, you are steeped in compliance review and series 24 approval and regulations um, and a sandbox that can be really small when you're thinking about how to communicate. And there are really good reasons behind all of that. But via social, it's important for us to really allow our personality to shine. Um, the more personal the post, the more likely it is to draw attention. And I think that's because one-on-one -on -one interactions really still drive financial services businesses. Um, so being clearly identified, a clearly identified individual matters. You know, even with all of the, the robo advice and these amazing online tools, it's still, still when you get down to it, when the chips are down, so to speak, Typically, someone wants to, you want to talk to another human being, if only for a short period of time, or you want to have a sense that the person you're trusting with your financial future is a quality person. And, and social media can help, you know, you communicate that in a broad way, in a broad way. Yeah, definitely. It, it comes down to that understanding of your content strategy and having that plan of how it can be utilized effectively, especially when we take it on to social media. And you're 100% right, you know, the financial industry might be a little bit dry. It's even something you know that that we struggle with within our industry. We cover data, cybersecurity, networking, not right. the sexiest of topics in the world. Right. But this is what I'm always saying to my my social team: is having that branding and understanding how you can balance the two, whether it's with visuals, with video, podcasts, like we're doing here now, can make it a little bit more enticing and a little bit more exciting for people, kind of going forward. And I think that's so key for people to kind of take forward especially into next year when they're starting to write their plans um, and their editorial guidelines going into the new year. So I think that's a very important thing to bear in mind of marrying that content and that social media to really work together and, and, and enforce each other. And an interesting thing that I found is obviously you guys released your fourth annual social selling content study. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of kind of interesting elements in there. And I think last year is a prime example of when things can just change unexpectedly. We saw a massive increase of interactions, and then we saw a massive decrease of uh, interaction. It's just something that happens that couldn't have been predicted for. So from your standpoint, what are some of those reports' key findings and takeaways about social selling that interested you? Sure. So so to your point, the the engagement graph, the engagement line for, for 2020 looks unlike any other engagement graph, obviously, because we were in the middle of this amazingly sudden and unique occurrence. Huge spike in engagement in March, April, long trough through spring and summer, um, slight bounce back then in Q4. What's been interesting about 2021 is we've seen a similar pattern, a, a smaller peak in activity in the February, March, but an equally deep decrease throughout uh, Q2. And then actually surprising turnaround there towards the end of the year. So that graph doesn't really help us in terms of thinking about, oh, is this a pattern that's going to re replicate itself next year? If anything, it says two things. It says once we're in a highly variable time because normally this engagement graph looks more or less like a sine wave. It's pretty clean. 
So we're in uncharted territory. We do not know what normal is. But the other thing that I've been talking to to our customers about is, you know, you've seen some engagement rate decrease over time. Everyone else is experiencing the same thing. I think that's really important to remember that as much as we want to be an individual company and an individual group making these great results, we're also impacted by broad scale occurrences like a pandemic and shutdowns, et cetera. So I think that's really, really important and something that we will be watching with more attention as we move forward. Also, as an outcome of 2020, we saw significant growth in engagement for what we've started to call principles-based content. So things like diversity, equity, inclusion, and environmental slash corporate social responsibility. This has been, it was a surprise, I think, generally because it bubbled up out of what happened in our, throughout our society and actually worldwide last summer. There had been some signs that this was increasing in prior years, but we definitely saw a marked jump in interest um, in that content. And related to that, um, consumer research shows that people are starting to expect that you know the companies they do business with, their companies in general, that they have a point of view, some sort of opinion, and that they are taking action um, in these areas. And that's just a brand new puzzle, um, an opportunity for companies to try and figure out um, and specify where they sit um, in those particular areas. So when I started to look through these topics and the actual like post performance, we saw some very popular and engaging posts from large financial services firms around diversity and equality, both from a, a, a racial diversity standpoint and also gender equality both from a sense of this is a person who's been promoted or being noticed, but also this is our standpoint in these areas. These are the commitments we're making. So that that, that started to become much more important. Um, and the other thing is, you know, we went back to the, when we go back to what works, just we need to increase and continue original um, and modified posts. I think original was up 6% 20 in 2020 through 2019, uh, modified was 14%. Those those trends continue. The reason why it's important is because you're going to get an incremental increase in your engagement. So like original content within the wealth management vertical, it's going to produce 9x engagement over something that's unmodified. So it's just super important. So I think you and I could probably nerd out about content strategy and social engagement, probably until the cows come home. But in reality, the sales and the marketing collaboration is really at the heart of this topic. And that alignment equaling profit is is so important. You know, people aren't paying us just to make content for, for the fun of it and doing socials for the fun of it. So how should today's organizations really go about aligning that sales and marketing teams to maximize those demand, demand generation results? So this gets back to one of my kind of four top level questions um, that I, I discussed earlier. And honestly, Max, I don't have a simple answer. Um, I think that, you know, where people's chairs sit and who owns the budget and who owns which technology and which resources, all that really depends on a particular company's, you know, organizational philosophy or kind of even their operating environment, you know, some places are super highly centralized and others are split out by product offers. Um, I've worked within both scenarios and you know gone through that change, I think maybe three or four times. I think a lot of firms like just oscillate between those two. Um, but there are a couple things, though, I think in general that can be useful in thinking about how to work together. The most important thing, we believe, is close contact and collaboration 
um, among the people developing the content and those who actually use it. So we talked a little bit earlier about how social selling varies from traditional marketing in several ways, but maybe the most profound one is that distribution sits in the hands of other people. And those people have their own motivations and needs, right? They may be trying to acquire uh, a large amount of business or new clients. They may be simply managing their current client base because they have a large enough book of business. They may have different incentive programs or different levels of interest in social. So in order to address that, it's really key that the people making the posts are connected to the people who are going to use them through either the program administrators and or field staff. I think it's really easy sometimes to sit back on the functional nature of the modern marketing department. You know, like, oh, well, the creative person writes it and the designer designs it and then the marketing person makes the strategy and the business person owns the product and they send it to some other group to stick the widget into some funnel, right? It's, it's very much everybody has their own job. This has to be a little bit more um, collaborative and organic in terms of how people communicate. Um, I think what we find is that if you have your content creators or social selling administrators, field engagement and field staff connected, and they are thinking about this effort as both a marketing but also a user experience project. So not only what are we saying and how relevant it is, but also how easy can we make it for people to use it, you'll find you'll find success. Excellent. I think that's very true. Having that kind of organic messaging and we said at the top of the show as well, having that communication between departments and understanding is is one of the most important things kind of going forward. And to kind of wrap up the show here, I'm just uh, curious from your standpoint, Sim, if you've got any kind of real-world statistics, examples that you can kind of um, show us here that kind of help businesses accelerate that sales cycle, the ROI, just really making sure that we focus on that message of getting the most out of the social media content marketing investments. Absolutely. Um, we think about it in, we think about ROI in three main areas. And the first one is just operational efficiencies. So when people work with us, they find, you know, up to like a 90% reduction in the time that their agents or advisors or, or spend finding content and publishing it on social. So it's a huge reduction. They can go in and, and in a matter of, you know, five minutes, do something that took them an hour before. That's really, really important. Also, it helps your marketing team reduce the amount of time for their content distribution via social and their analytics. So they're working more efficiently. And I think also, you know, one of the hidden kind of really important points is people need compliant and visible social profiles. And because of the way our platform works, um, it makes that easier and, and um, much more convenient for upkeep. So from an operational perspective, it's, it, it really has a positive impact. It just takes a lot less time for, for broader reach and exposure. The other key area is compliance. So how do you involve compliance and get those reviews so that you can mitigate risk. Um, and when we use our systems, we see again this high level 80, 70 odd percent reduction in the amount of time it takes to get things reviewed um, and, and changed. So you can imagine, you know, the volume of social um, activity, um, it, really, it really requires a, a more efficient system to get things reviewed in a proper fashion. And we, we allow firms to do that really easily. And then the last thing is much more about, you know, your hardcore kind of marketing 
um, marketing results. So what we see is across custom, our customers over time, you know, lead conversion, we can see an increased potential in leads up to like 10%. So a 10% increase in the number of leads that get converted into clients. We also see just from a broad level that kind of from a base level using our program, you're going to get probably two more posts per week per user. Again, blended statistic, but that's a pretty significant increase when you consider that most people are in that two to three posts per week range. Like we're really happy with three posts per week, but if you can get somebody up to almost posting every day, they're going to really feel the network effects of their activity. Um, and then the last thing is we do see some decrease in churn rate, more around that, like maybe in the one or two percentage points, a little bit slower. But we do think that social has a lot of untapped opportunity to be a much better and much more broadly used retention tool. Business results are much like hardcore assets under management revenue. Those are much harder to calculate um, for a bunch of reasons. But what we hear from our customers is that that does happen. It's, it's hard for them to quantify precisely given the broad nature of what constitutes acquisition these days but that social programs increase that. They increase their ability to convert and they help increase revenue and, and assets under management. Excellent. I think there's a lot of important points there that uh, people can take away. And as I mentioned previously, going into those 2022 plans and, and how people are kind of measuring those success and that ROI is going to be very important to kind of factor in those areas. So Tim, all I can say is thank you for coming on to this episode. It's been great talking to you about all of this and uh, really appreciate your time. Max, my pleasure. Would be happy to come on again or answer any questions. And I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with me. Excellent. Yes, I would definitely take you up on that offer. And uh, thank you, everyone, who took the time to listen to this episode. We do hope you took a lot away. I think there's um, a lot to unpack here and, and many areas that we can explore in the future. But if you are looking for more information on what we discussed today, then head on over to hearsaysystems.com. They've got some great resources, and I'm sure a member of the team will be happy to help you out with any questions. That, once again, is hearsaysystems.com. We'll be back next week with another episode in our series. Until then, you can join the conversation at Ian360Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. Subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms. And of course, for more great daily content, head on over to Ian360Tech.com. Come.